Psalm 32. <clears throat> Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, we are into this series on the Psalms this summer. This is our thir third week on this, and we're looking at what I'm calling these Psalms from the heart, right? Psalms that invite us to bring all of who we are before God, whatever it might be. We're called to just pour out our hearts to Him and... and um, and to experience God in the fullness of who we are. Uh, I came across a, uh, a quote from John Calvin this week, which I loved. Uh, he says this, I have been accustomed to call this book, this book being the Psalms, an anatomy of the soul. Uh, For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. The Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs, sorrows, Fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. Oops, I went the wrong way. Uh, it is certainly a rare and singular advantage when all lurking places are discovered and the heart is brought into the light, purged from that most baneful infection, hypocrisy. And that's what we see in the Psalms, right? This this. Everything comes out before God. There's no hypocrisy. There's, there's an honest reckoning of our hearts before the Lord in prayer. And, and really, that's what we're, we're doing this, this summer. Like Psalms call us into uh, all parts of ourselves. Some of these parts we like. Some of these parts we'd rather not see. And some of these parts we'd really rather God not see. And yet we learned last week, He sees it all anyways. And so what God can see, surely God can hear. And so that's what we're doing. And so for the rest of, of the summer, we'll kind of look at different uh, aspects of our hearts that need to be brought out before the Lord. And today, I want to talk about uh, one of the core aspects of our hearts, which is our sin. Okay, this, the, the, the broken, sinful, rebellious parts of us that must and need to be brought out uh, into the light of God's presence so that we can experience the gospel, that we can experience forgiveness. And a lot of what this series is about is how do we bring the gospel which we believe 
theoretically, how do we bring the gospel into our actual life of prayer so that we daily experience the gospel? And of course, that is most important with the sin that is inside of our hearts. How do we bring that before the Lord to experience His forgiveness and His freedom again? And so, uh, before I get going, I want to just give you a minute or two. uh, Turn to the person next to you and just share your most recent moral failure, if you would. (laughs) What do you mean? Uh, No, no. Why don't you do this? Take a moment instead in the quiet of your heart and consider with God your most recent moral failure, okay? Consider uh, the last week or month. And what's a moment that you, you can draw back on that you missed it, okay? Um, it could be big. You, you might be in an affair right now. Um, you might have lied to someone you care about. You might have flipped someone off on the, on the freeway, right, when you got cut off. Uh, you might have gotten drunk. Um, you might be in a, a deal that's pretty shady at work, okay? Um, it could be big, it could be small, but I want you to kind of, I want you to identify something, and if you can't, uh, then we have bigger problems on our hands here. Um, and I'm less con- interested in this moment about what the thing was, okay? But the question I would like you to think about is, what did you do with that? Okay, so you did whatever that is, you did or said or didn't do something you should have done. Um, what did you do? What have you done with that since? Is that um, something that you brought out before the Lord and confess to experience his forgiveness, his freedom? Have you walked through that thing with the Lord? Or have you not engaged him at all about that thing? Is that something that um, you've tried to stuff or deny uh, or compartmentalize or minimize? Uh, where it will ju- or is it just kind of festering right now and it's sort of souring your relationship with the Lord and you just feel a little disconnected from God because there's this thing between you that really hasn't been dealt with. Okay, I just want you to think about what have you actually done with that? How have you engaged or not engaged the Lord with that? And I, I just want to say, I think, what, you know, <laughs> we're going to sin till the day we die. And so what we choose to do with the sin that's in us, how we engage that with the Lord is, is one of the most fundamental and important aspects of our walk with God. And so I want to talk about that this morning. How do we deal with the, the, the dark, broken stuff inside of us, the sin within us? How do we bring that before the Lord in prayer? And I, I, want, I love this, this psalm, Psalm 32, where uh, David offers us just this fresh reminder of the gospel. And my my prayer, I've been praying for you all this week, is that some of us really need to experience the gospel in a fresh way this morning. That there is brokenness and sin and shame um, that the Lord wants to heal and that the Lord wants to to forgive. And His Spirit is present. He's always present with us. He's present, especially in the gathered community. The Spirit is present to bring freedom and forgiveness And so I I pray that this psalm might be an experience of that for us this morning. So I love this psalm. It's pretty short. Um, There's three kind of movements. First, David just articulates the gospel in the first two verses of the forgiveness that we can have in God. And then then he gives us his own experience of forgiveness. 
And then thirdly, in light of his experience, he has some words of advice for all of us, okay? So let's just walk through these, uh, and, and we'll, we'll spend a little time in confession after, after my message. All right, so let's first look, uh, just look at the declaration of the gospel in verses 1 through 2. Let me read it again. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Okay? Very concise, but very, I would say, pretty comprehensive picture of the good news that we can be forgiven. In a second, we're going to find out David is fresh off an experience of forgiveness. He's on cloud nine right now. Okay? He's experiencing, he's, he's like, it's a blessed thing to be forgiven by the Lord. And he's going to invite us into that experience. And so he just starts by declaring the good news in a pretty comprehensive way. Okay? And what he does, he gives us three different Hebrew words for sin in these short two verses. It's not going to show up in your, in your English necessarily, but let me just tell you what they are. The first one normally gets translated sin, and it, it in the most basic sense means just to miss the mark. Okay? You're aiming for a target, and you miss it. And we do that all the time. We're aiming some, for some moral target. We're aiming for, to be a certain thing, and sometimes we miss the mark. Okay? That is sin. Uh, another word he uses, it probably comes into your English, is the word transgression. Okay? You might see that in verse 1. And transgression is a little more than missing the mark. Transgression is a, is a deliberate trespass across moral boundaries that God has created, right? God's created these moral boundaries. You see a fence, a moral fence, don't do this. You look at it, you know you shouldn't do it, and you do it anyways. It's a deliberate trespass over God's moral boundaries, transgressions, okay? And then the third word, which may or may not show up in your English, is the word that normally gets translated as iniquity, okay? You might have iniquity. And iniquity is more than a missing of a mark. It's more than an action step that we take. Iniquity refers to the inner twistedness and brokenness of our hearts. It, it refers to the reality that sin is not just things I do, but like there's something about me, about my heart that is now fundamentally broken. And, and it leaks out all the time in actions, but there's something more than just actions. Like there's something about my heart that is, that is now not all that it ought to be. So it's a pretty comprehensive description of, of what sin and brokenness looks like. But what I also love is it's a pretty comprehensive description of what, what forgiveness, what the gospel is. And so what, if you look at those verses, David uses three words for sin, but he also uses three words for forgiveness, okay? Look at the first one in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, okay? I'm just going to give you the Hebrew words behind all these. The, the, that word forgiven means to, like, to take a load and to bear it away, to carry it off for somebody, so David is saying sin is like, a, is like a weight that we feel, right? It's like this burden that we feel on our backs. And what forgiveness is, is like God taking that burden away and saying, I'm going to carry that off. You don't have to carry that burden anymore, okay? Forgiveness. Uh, look at the next one. Whose sins, this is the first one, whose sins are covered. Okay, that's a different image, right? This is God saying, I'm not going to keep exposing your sin to your face. We're going to cover that. We're going to put that out of sight. I'm not going to look at it anymore. You don't have to worry about me exposing that again. It's gone. It's covered. It's removed. You don't have to, we don't have to look at that anymore. Okay? That's one. And then the third one, look at um, the verse 2. Who sin the Lord does not count against them. 
okay? And for you accountants, right, you're going to like this one. This is an accounting term, right? The idea being sin is like um, racking up debt <laughs> with, the, with God, right? We are in God's debt. And what forgiveness is all about is God saying, don't worry. I'm not going to charge that to your account. Okay? Your, your account is free and clear. And, and, of course, David doesn't even know the full beauty of the gospel uh, when he's writing this. But we know, and the song we sang, that Johnny Cash song, right, is the reason God is no longer counting our sins against us is because he is now cu- counting our sins against his son, Jesus Christ. Right? That God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Okay, most of us in this room have heard this a million times, right, to pay the penalty for sin so that, that, that our sin might be taken off of our shoulders and put on Jesus. We might be covered in the blood of Jesus, and God might no longer count our sins against us because he's counting our sins against his own beloved son on the cross. That's the gospel. All your sin, the things you didn't try to do, the things you intentionally did, and the stuff inside of you, it is covered, it is forgiven, it has been paid for in full. And David just starts by saying, it's a blessed thing to experience this. Amen? Amen. Okay? There's nothing better than the experience of knowing I am completely forgiven of everything I've ever done. And that's where David starts blessed. That's a blessed life. And that's the the life we get to walk into every day for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. So he starts by reminding us of the gospel. And then what he does, and I love this, in verse 3 through 5, he he takes us into his own experience of this, okay? And this is going to feel really relatable, I think, to all of us, all right? So, um, He gives us his own experience of of sin and guilt and forgiveness. And what he learns, I think, in his experience, which I I say this phrase all the time. I just said it like a month ago. He learns this. There's no refuge from the judge, God being the judge. But there is always refuge in the judge, okay? And that's that's really what's, that's kind of scripture 101. There's, There's no refuge from the judge, but there's refuge in the judge. Now, let's watch how David experiences this. Okay, verse 3. I love this. When I kept silent, okay, meaning when I didn't confess my sin, okay, I had something in, that I had done, and we know a lot of things that David did that weren't the greatest things in the world, right? Who knows which one he's talking about here. But I kept silent about it. Okay, look at how verse 2 ends. Blessed is one in whose spirit is no deceit. He says, there was a time where there was deceit in my heart. I had done something wrong, but I didn't want to bring it out before God. I wanted to keep it silent. I wanted to bury it. I wanted to ignore it. I wanted to pretend it didn't exist. I didn't want to deal with it before the Lord. And so I kept silent about it. I was deceitful with God, as if that's possible, right? And look what happened when he did that. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Okay, he's describing what it feels like to groan under the burden of guilt and shame. Right? And it's, it, he's describing a very visceral, like my, my, you know, my bones wasted, my, my strength was sapped. He sounds very contemporary, actually, 
You know, like we, we now know like we are these psychosomatic beings and modern science tells us there's a huge mind-body connection and, you know, stress can play itself self out in the body. Certainly guilt and shame can express itself. And I would guess many of us could think about seasons where we've been in this moment where we've done something really bad and we haven't dealt with it yet before the Lord. And we carry the guilt, right? Whatever word you want to use, the shame, the conviction, and, and we feel it. Like I can picture feeling. Some of us feel it in our bellies. <laughs> Some of us feel it in our chest. Some of us feel it in our necks. But we, we, we are like these psychosomatic, holistic beings. And David's like, I don't need mo- modern science to tell me that. Like that's what I experienced. And it, it's important to, to recognize that his experience is not just due to like a overly developed conscience, okay? Like an overly guilty conscience. Actually, the Lord himself is playing a role in this, right? He says, he says uh, in verse 4, God, your hand was heavy on me, right? God, you're, 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 you're bearing down on me. Your, your spirit is bearing down on you. You're making this a very painful experience for me to remain silent like this. Okay, let me just stop there for a second. It's not like a feel-good sermon in some ways, right? This moment here. But um, I, I want to just talk about this, this experience of guilt um, that David's experiencing. And I think it's important to talk about because we're living in a moment where um, our relationship with guilt, feelings of like guilt or maybe shame, is a really complicated one, I think, in this modern moment. And there's a couple different voices that we're all hearing Okay? So one voice sometimes we hear in this, this arena of guilt is kind of all called the, the voice of old religion, okay? sort of guilt-based, shame-based, sort of pharisaical religion that kind of uses guilt and shame to try to motivate people to do the right thing. And, and some of us grew up in homes that were very guilt and shame-based. We had parents who used guilt and shame to get us to do the right thing. Or maybe we grew up in spiritual communities, churches that were very guilt and shame-based. Okay? They were not based on, on, on grace and forgiveness. And I just want to say those are, that's very destructive to the spiritual life, to, to be motivated out of guilt and shame and that to be the thing that drives our behavior. That is not the gospel. Okay? Uh, now, there's another voice that a lot of us hear today, which is, I would say, kind of the voice of, of the secular contemporary culture, which is saying a very different thing than this voice. It's basically saying, you know, the, the problem is, is with those feelings of guilt and shame. We need to figure out a way to eradicate those feelings of guilt and shame. And the problem is not sin, whatever sin might be. The, the problem is those feelings. And so we've, we've got to find ways to help people work through those feelings. And so there's, you know, we can use therapy, um, we can use self-help, we can use medication. Um, but there's a message that says there, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with you. You're not broken. You're not a sinner. Um, we just need to deal with these feelings of guilt because those aren't good. So we got guilt is bad, shame is bad, and sin, don't even think about sin. We got to figure out a way to work through this, Okay. That's kind of what the message of, I think, the culture is. There's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. You're beautiful. Every part of you is beautiful. Embrace yourself. Embrace the beauty of who you are. No more of these feelings of guilt and shame. And there's something tempting about that, I think, that, that voice. But I think ultimately, at least for some of us, there's something that feels off about that. Like there's something shallow because we know in our hearts, no, there is something wrong. There is something deeply wrong here that needs to be acknowledged and dealt with, not like tried to assuage, 
okay? And I think ultimately that is also actually harmful and destructive to the spiritual life because it won't actually get at the root of the guilt, which in many cases is sin. And I want to say sometimes <laughs> there are moments when uh, the solution is not to feel less guilty. Actually, sometimes the solution is to feel more guilty. <laughs> and I'll use the word conviction. Like, no, no, you should feel more conviction right now. The Spirit might be moving in your heart to bring about true conviction for a good ultimate purpose, okay? So we've got these two different voices that feel very different to me, and the gospel is neither of those. <laughs> the gospel wants to say, no, something is wrong. <laughs> something needs to be dealt with, but the beauty is you can deal with it. Through confession, through repentance, you can come to God with anything that you've gone through, and you can experience his forgiveness and freedom. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you blew it. Absolutely. Own it, confess it, and acknowledge it, and then bring that into the light of God's forgiveness so that it might be healed and restored, and your guilt and shame might be taken away by God, not by yourself. Okay? So it's a very interesting moment we're in when it comes to guilt and shame, and, and really the gospel offers us this third way. And so that's what we see David take finally. Who knows how long verses 3 and 4 lasted. may have been weeks, may have been days, I don't know. Um, he can be pretty dramatic. Maybe it was only a couple hours, I don't know. Um, but the turning point comes in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't, or I stopped, we could say, covering up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, okay? I'm stopping the cover-up. That was so painful. Okay, God, I'm going to confess to you. Now, what happens next in the psalm? It's the, the key question. What happens next? I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and what happens? And you forgave the guilt of my sin. I love that. Think of the things that David could have said then. And God, I confessed, and you held out on me for a couple weeks, right? Uh, you stonewalled me. You forced me to do penance for a month. You forced me to make amends with the people that I had done things with before you forgave me. None of that, right? Finally, I confessed. In the moment I confessed, you were there with forgiveness, with open arms, I discovered there's no refuge from the judge. I learned that the hard way, but I learned there's refuge in the judge. The moment God's children turn from their sin, turn to him in confession and repentance, he's there with open arms. I couldn't help but think of the story of the prodigal son here. I mean, this is like a, a miniature version, right, of the prodigal son. This, this younger son who... who um, Rejects his father, right? Squanders his father's inheritance. Goes, says, I don't want anything to do with you. And he goes off to foreign land. And basically, through pain and suffering, he's brought back. That's like he's, he's just desperate. In his desperation and pain, he's brought back. And he thinks, uh, I can never be my dad's boy anymore. But maybe I can come back as a servant. Maybe I can work my way back into sonship, right? And of course, the, story, the way the story goes is while he was a long ways off, right? His father sees him. The moment the son starts turning to the father, the father sees him and, and he runs out to him and he embraces him and he, and he says, you're my son, right? Let's, let's throw a party. And that parable is told in the middle of three parables that are all about somebody losing something and it being found. A, a, a shepherd who loses a sheep, a woman who loses a coin, a father who loses a son. And on finding the person, on, on re repentance and confession and turning back, what the person who found them does is throws a party. They celebrate. 
And so Jesus in those parables says, in the same way, there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And if there's only one thing you hear this morning, I want you to hear this. God loves confession. God loves repentance. When we turn from our sin and turn back to God, Jesus is saying, God throws a party in heaven. (laughs) There's nothing God likes more than when his kids come clean and turn back to him after having turned away from him. He loves that. He celebrates that. He throws parties in heaven when that takes place. That's what we need to know about who our God is. There is no refuge from the judge. Can't escape him. But there is refuge in the judge. The moment we turn in confession and repent, he is there with forgiveness and with open arms. So this is David's experience. It's the sweet experience of forgiveness, of having his conscience cleaned and being restored with his God. That's the experience of verse 4 through 5. And then one final movement that the rest of the psalm does, basically in light of David's own personal experience, he says, now let me offer you all (laughs) some words of wisdom in light of my experience. And he gives us wisdom, he says it first positively, and then he says it negatively, okay? Positively, look at verse 6. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found, right? That's what I did, Lord. I, I finally prayed to you. And now may every, all of your faithful people, you all, do the same thing I did. Pray to the Lord. Confess your sins to God. And the image I had this week is like, Imagine you're at a, like a, um, a mountain lake on a hot summer day, and there's this, there's this clean, refreshing lake, and David's already in the middle of the lake. And it's the, it's the lake of God's forgiveness, and, and he's sitting there, and we're kind of tentatively looking from the shore, and he's like, guys, come on in. Jump on in. The water is clean, I promise you. I've experienced it, right? May all call on you. Verse 7, you're my hiding place. You protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Call on God. You will find in him a sweet refuge, not someone who is waiting to condemn you, okay? He wants to be your refuge and your hiding place. So positively, let all the faithful come to you, confess to you. And then, really interesting, he says it negatively. Look at verse 8. Let me instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my loving eye on you. And here's the negative. Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. (laughs) Okay, what does that image have to do in the context? So I want you to um, imagine yourself as a horse or a mule, okay? It's a delightful image of yourself, right? So you're a horse or a mule, and, and God is your owner, and you live on the farm, uh, right, with God's creatures. And, and God has a way that he loves to interact with his creatures. He, he loves to call them by name. He likes to call them out of the barn by name, right, bring them into pasture, and he says, come this way with me, and the, and the creatures listen to him, they hear his voice, uh, and they turn and they follow him, and, and that's the way God loves to relate with his creatures. But God has another tool that he can use with his creatures if he needs to. And that's the tool of the bit or the bridle. So if one of his creatures is particularly uh, hard of hearing or stubborn, right, or stiff-necked, 
um, God can put the bit in their mouth and the bridle and use pain, right, right, to get them to do what he'd rather them do willingly of their own free, you know, kind of sensitive heart towards him. And um, turns out sometimes God's creatures are stubborn, aren't they? Um, they can be, uh, they can dig their heels in every once in a while. And uh, David's saying, don't be that way with God. And of course, in the context, who has been the mule in this psalm? David, right? He's saying, guys, that was me, right? I had sinned, but I was stubborn. I didn't want to bring it out to God. I didn't want to confess it. So what did God have to do? He had to put the bit in my mouth. He had to use pain to get me to do something, to confess to him. And it worked, but I'm a cautionary tale, (laughs) Don't do it like I did it, okay? Or to put it positively, be soft and receptive to the Lord. Have, have a conscience that is, that is quickly pricked and that moves instantly to confession with the God. Don't make God use pain to do what you ought to do. And, and we all know what it's like to have to learn the hard way, right? Through experience. We all did it. We watch our kids do it. We watch our grandkids do it. Humans tend to have to learn by experience. And David's like, don't be that way. Have hearts that are just ready to listen to the voice of God, ready to confess. And that's the main call of this psalm, be quick to confess. And the warning is, don't be like the horse or the mule. And let me just add one other thing to this warning. There's a danger if we are like the horse or mule for too long. And if you go back to verse 6, there's kind of an ominous phrase there. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you, Last phrase, while you may be found. And the implication potentially is at least maybe there's a window of opportunity in which the Lord may be found. And maybe there's, that window can close if a person lives a certain way for too long. And uh, I'm not speaking really theologically right now, but it, it reminded me of, of a passage in the New Testament um, where Paul talks to Timothy and he says, beware of those whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Okay, think about that image. And the idea is people who, who did something wrong, maybe they knew the Lord and they did something wrong, and then that, that conscience came up against the heat, the pan, right? Think of like searing some ahi, the heat of, of God's conviction, right? Which is what happened to David, right? He felt the heat, he felt the weight of God's conviction, and they come up against that, but they don't confess it. They, they just stay stubborn. They stay like the mule. But God's using the bridle. They're like, no, I'm not going to do that. Over time, what happens to their consciences, their consciences become seared, unfeeling, right? Insensitive, dead. These consciences that should be, should be alive and soft and receptive. Over time, if we keep stubbornly not listening to the conviction of God, even over time, our consciences will become desensitized. And our intimacy with the Lord will, will be lost. And, and all of us probably have had some experience of this, right? In like the most simple way. Imagine like there's some show that everybody was watching and you wanted to watch it. And you watched the first episode and you got into it and you realized, I shouldn't be watching this show. Like some of the content of it, either the language or the scenes. And you realize, and your conscience is pregnant. This is, this is not good for me to watch. But you pushed through that. And you watched episode two, 
and you push through that. And you watched episode three and four and season two and three and four, right? And by season five, your conscience has become a little seared, right? What used to prick you, you've, got, you've gotten used to just pushing through that and not confessing it, not being before the Lord. And so you've become hardened by sin. And that's the danger that David is trying to present to us. Like, guys, don't be like that. When you feel that, that immediate hit of the conscience of God's spirit, just turn to God in confession and repentance. Don't be like I was. Don't need the bit and the bridle. Listen for his voice. Be quick to confess. Verse 10, I'll end it with this. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Uh, let me end with this, and then we're going to move to confession. I actually don't think um, sin is the deepest problem in our relationship with God. I think unconfessed sin is, a, is the deepest problem. Unacknowledged sin. Sin that just festers, sin that is never brought up before the Lord, that is the biggest danger to the spiritual life, and it, we will lose intimacy with God in that way. That's how marriages work. That's how friendships work. One, one, one party can't consistently wound the other without acknowledging it. You will lose intimacy over time. And so the invitation is we have this God who, who is given us this sweet gospel of forgiveness. And so let's every day, every moment we're aware of our sin, let's bring it out into the light of the gospel that we might be healed, we might be forgiven, and we might experience that sweet intimacy with the Lord throughout our days. Amen? Okay, so why don't we do this? Why don't we go to confession right now? And... Um, You've already had a chance to maybe think about something that's on your heart that would be good to bring before the Lord in the context of the gathered community. We won't be, you know, confessing these specific things out loud. But let me take you to um, the, one of the most, you know, traditional confessions uh, in the, in, in the uh, Protestant church that we have. And uh, we've done this one a bunch. But let's do this. Why don't we just take a moment and why don't you just read over that um, confession quietly for a moment so you know what's coming. And um, just take a moment with that, and then we'll read this together. There's another slide that will close the confession. So even once we finish this, there'll be one more, a uh, few more set of lines to, to read. And so let's take a moment of silence. Let's bring our hearts before the Lord, our sins before the Lord. Uh, we'll read together, and then I want to pr pronounce the words of Psalm 103 over us. Um, and then we'll sing uh, some songs in response. So just take a moment with, with that. <laughs> 